Essential Self-Care Podcast, a podcast for those of us who are, let's face it, too busy for self-care. In this podcast, you will hear real-life stories from people who leaned into their self-care as they were navigating life's storms. You'll learn practical tips, tools, and strategies to incorporate self-care into your own busy life as well. You'll hear from expert guests sharing their expertise on specific tools and modalities of self-care to optimize your well-being in your life, career, and relationships. I'm your host, Dr. Sheetal Ajmani. I am a physician, best-selling author, and founder of Radiant Living Institute, where I guide high-achieving women to get unstuck and learn to live radiantly again through major life transitions. Quick disclaimer before we dive into the episode, please know that this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Always seek the advice of your own health practitioner or mental health provider for your specific situation. Now, let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Essential Self-Care Podcast. I am so excited to welcome back to the show today, Dr. Diane Malaspina. She was on our show a few weeks ago sharing a bit about her self-care journey. It was such a fascinating and fascinating fantastic conversation and episode. So if you missed that episode, definitely go back and tune in after you listen to this one. Um, So I'm so excited to have her back. Dr. Diane Malaspina is a dear friend of mine here locally in Hampton Roads. Uh, She is a psychologist, a nationally recognized and renowned yoga instructor and coach. And I'm just so excited to have you back here. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me again. Yeah, so today Dr. Diane is going to share a bit more about her expertise in interpersonal neurobiology and how that relates to patterns of overwhelm and coping mechanisms. So I am so excited to dive into this topic. Let's get started. Let's start from the beginning, Dr. Diane. So we were talking a little bit earlier before we started this recording about how uh, situations from childhood can kind of prime our nervous system and coping mechanisms and how we um, develop and respond to patterns of overwhelm yeah. as we grow up yeah. <laughs> and how that can affect our relationships, our work, so many different aspects of our life. So let's go back to the beginning. Can you um, share a little bit more about that and kind of what's going on in childhood yeah. that leads to this? And then, of course, we will also touch on some uh, ways that our listeners can start to work with with some of this information that we're talking about today. Okay, sounds good. So interpersonal neurobiology is really where our biology meets our environment. And so when we're born, um, the first two years of life are considered the most um, important and rapid time of brain development, of nervous system development. But if we really think about the next most important times around development is actually prenatal as well as um, the first five years of life and really extending into early adulthood. Some of the research is showing now like even into our our 20s, our mid-20s and beyond. So the idea here is that these experiences that we have with our caregivers and that our environment are actually wiring our nervous system 
system from birth, at least from out of the womb. And that also um, interacts with what we come equipped with biologically. So our levels of sensitivity to arousal, any of the neurochemicals that we have in the brain. And so to, to kind of understand it from just a very basic level is that the way that our environment and our caregivers interact with us creates these styles that um, put our caregivers in a light of safety. And so that is in order to preserve our um, ability to to feel safe in environments. And our nervous system is wired for feeling safe and for predicting. And so what happens is, is that we engage in these different interactions. And when our caregivers are not attuned to our needs, then we develop these sophisticated styles of coping so that the caregiver comes out in a positive light, which internally gives us a sense of feeling safe. But over time, these become these more defense mechanisms and patterns that develop into adulthood that sometimes get in our way. So for example, when we go through um, these different relationships, we come out with different forms of attachment. And some forms of attachment are healthy and secure. And other forms are related to an avoidant style or an anxious style. And so those words might sound like keywords that come up in your life. And so there might be avoidant patterns that are happening in your life, like procrastination or trying to check out from situations that you don't feel comfortable in or that overwhelm you. And the same is true for anxiety. Oftentimes there's an anxious dynamic in the caregiver relationship that when we get older, our arousal system is heightened to stimuli that provoke this sense of anxiety. And so we have anxious reactions to life, which then exacerbates states of overwhelm. Fascinating. So for our listeners, you have a psychologist here and you have a pediatrician who has also specialized and worked in neurodevelopment. So I'm just so excited about this topic and we're just going to kind of geek out on this a bit. But <laughs> um, so just to recap some some points, you know, recognizing that your nervous system, you know, in childhood, I mean, in childhood, in adulthood is, is, is doing what it's meant to do, right? Um, and it's doing it in a way to protect you, to find that sense of safety. And that's what it was doing in childhood as well. And really kind of um, developed these mechanisms to uh, keep your caregivers in this light of, of safety, right? Um, and then through that, the sort of mechanisms or coping mechanisms that can develop uh, can relate to these attachment styles uh, that can then show up in different ways as an adult as well. So you mentioned like avoidant and anxious, and you gave a, some examples of that. Mm -hmm. Can you describe a little bit more for someone listening, for our listeners, sort of a little bit more of what those can look like. Like how can someone maybe begin to identify if, and they may already with, with the description that you gave, but if we could just dive into that a little bit more, like how can someone maybe begin to identify their attachment style? You know, mm -hmm. do they have this avoidant attachment style, anxious attachment style? And 
you know, I think all all of this is just to understand ourselves better. You know, one mm-hmm. thing I always go back to in this show is practicing self-compassion. Mm-hmm. So as we're talking about these different attachment styles and giving them different names, I think all of this is just also a framework to understand ourselves better, understand our nervous system better, um, so that we can move forward in the healthiest, most productive, and most authentic ways, right? And so... I just wanted to say that and keep that in mind for our listeners that this isn't like putting a label or please don't judge yourself in any way. If you resonate with a specific attachment style, this is all just ways to learn more about ourselves um, and to move forward and live as authentically as possible. So that being said, how can someone begin to identify sort of which attachment style maybe uh, they have developed as a coping mechanism? Yeah, I I want to tease something out really quickly about the compassion aspect, which is super important. Compassion for ourselves and compassion for our caregivers, because our caregivers are doing the best that they can, even in, you know, dysfunctional dynamics. um, It's typically not with volition that somebody is not attuning well. And in very many healthy relationships, there's misattunement that's happening. And so um, I don't want to get carried away with like a blame game. In fact, all of it, the way that the caregiver is ultimately misattuning or attuning to their child as well as the child, all of this is happening at an unconscious level. And the reason that it becomes a pattern in adulthood that is like tricky to identify is because again, it's happening at an unconscious level. So we want to have compassion for ourselves because we're not doing it on purpose. It's it's happening at a level below awareness. And but same to, with the caregivers, right? Yeah. Like because how they are attuning to to you is related to their attachment their style. Interpersonal right? neurobiology as well, their wiring, right? And so on and so forth. So from generation to generation and life experience it's that true integration of biology and environment. And so when we get into like, how do I identify these different types of styles? Like, yeah, you can get online and you can take an attachment style assessment. And I highly recommend that you do. There's one that's validated called the adult attachment interview. Um, but that's more of going to be something that's going to be conducted by a clinician or somebody who's going to go through an interview process. But you can take online assessments literally by just um, typing in, you know, attachment style in adulthood. Um, that'll give you some foundational information. But really, if you really think about, you know, I, I mentioned on the last podcast about the problem is the portal, right? And so if someone comes to a coaching session and they're, you know, applying for jobs and they're they're trying to, you know, make the next big move and they're finding themselves like not answering emails or procrastinating or not putting together their resume or sending out, you know, that that letter, then um, that procrastination, the problem is the portal. And so procrastination is an avoidance tactic. And when the procrastination, the procrastination is the signal and then the noise is just the letters and the resumes and all the other stuff because that same procrastination shows up in other areas of life. So procrastination is the problem into the portal of the deeper sense of avoidance. And what avoidance is, is that when things in life feel uncomfortable, and we can use the word overwhelm since that's part of our topic today, but when things in life feel uncomfortable, I avoid. 
And that can happen not just through procrastination, but that can also happen with the tendency to have that couple of glasses of wine after work. Like when I've had a hard day, I want to like disconnect, right? That's avoiding, okay? Or um, when, you know, there's something like I don't return phone calls or something like that, right? So those are all ways that we move away from the problem, that we avoid, we turn our back on the problem. In the anxious profile, um, anxiety is I feel unsure of myself. I might feel fear. I might feel anger, irritability. Um, so in that profile, it's going to look a little bit differently. So one of the manifestations of anxiety is that we try to control things that feel that are out of control. And so we find ourselves getting into patterns of trying to control something in our life and other people's lives. And it's a problem. It's working against us, right? And so the anxiety is the signal. The situation is the noise. And if the anxiety keeps coming up in certain situations that feel like they're creating some level of discomfort or overwhelm, it's an indicator that that attachment style is something that we can dig into. Now, the beauty of all of this and the the, the really neat thing, um, given that both Sheetal and I are interested in, you know, the mindfulness aspects is that there's a ton of research out there that mindfulness-based practices rewire the brain and the nervous system to form what's called secure attachments. And so to, to actually get out of an anxious or a um, uh, avoidant style of, of life, of, of coping, we can actually start working with slowing down, self-awareness, focus-based skills, and tools that will help us to feel more integrated. And so that we know that I don't have to avoid when something confronts me, or I don't have to get into the fear. Now, again, because these are unconscious, they feel automatic. But the way that we make something automatic turn off is we come into a state of mindfulness. And with that mindful awareness, then we can create some strategies and habits that move us into closer, closer to the side of having a more secure relationship with ourselves and with life. I love that. I love that. And with others, right? We all, yeah. we all care about our relationships yeah. and, and think about our relationships and how we're showing up there as well. So, but it really starts with, with ourselves and understanding ourselves better. And so quick shout out to today's sponsor, Reclaim Your Radiance, Radiant Living Institute's signature coaching program designed to help you reclaim your worth, renew your energy, and restore your happiness in your life, career, and relationships. This six-module curriculum has already helped countless women rediscover themselves through life's storms. From setting difficult boundaries within toxic relationships to finding their inner strength and power while navigating divorce and co-parenting to aligning their career and business with their authentic self and to learning how to live for themselves again after their kids have left the nest. This program has been a guiding force for women to live unapologetically and shine brightly within their lives once again, or often, even for the first time ever. Experience the results for yourself. Head over to radiantlivinginstitute.com forward slash reclaim dash your dash radiance to learn more and get started. Um, Just to recap a little bit here. So, you know, beginning to understand perhaps what your attachment style is, 
realizing where it came from, having compassion for that, compassion for yourself, compassion for your caregivers in that as well. And then really using that as a way, as a portal to understand yourself better and realizing that Yes, these are long-standing patterns, but there's so much uh, hope in the fact that in the fact that the science behind the fact that we can rewire our nervous systems, we can rewire ourselves. There, there are these practices, there are these tools, so that we can move towards a more secure attachment style, more secure coping mechanisms as well. So you mentioned, you know, at, at the root of, of a lot of that is are these sort of mindfulness-based practices. For someone who's listening right now, what would be kind of, you know, a, you know, one thing I always say is that small changes can make a large impact. So what would be maybe some small steps that you think our listeners could do to just kind of get started on that process? And I, and I do realize, and I will say, and, and I think Dr. Diane would, would agree with me. You don't have to agree with me. And so if you don't, that's fine. Feel free to say so. But I think you would agree with me that, that with some of this, certainly, you know, seeking um, a coach or a therapist or a mindfulness-based practitioner to help guide you individually, you know, to help sort of um, address your personal and individual situations, I think would be very helpful. But are there some kind of overarching general sort of small ways you could suggest to someone to get started? Yeah, I, I do agree that working, especially with this with this interpersonal neurobiology work, because it is a person environment and it's a relationship thing that you're working through. So working with somebody who's trained in these techniques is part of the healing process is reestablishing secure relationships with somebody who, you know, is on your team in a sense and, and has the um, wherewithal to take you there. But I think also, sorry, just to interrupt before yeah. you move on to answering that second question is uh, another interest of mine is, is, is trauma. I feel like we, everyone to some degree has experienced some sort of trauma, right? Maybe it's micro traumas, but some sort of trauma. And so also I think that when you're working on these levels, sometimes some of those traumatic uh, memories, experiences, uh, emotions can come up as well because we tend to store that in our body and our nervous system as well. And so that's just another really important reason to to seek the guidance of, of a specialist. Yeah, for sure. And and that there's so that that's another form of attachment that's called mm -hmm. disorganized. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't speak to it because, again, it's it just hits a smaller number of the population when we look at it from a more clinical point of view. Mm. We look at the percentages of people because, again, like all of us have had traumatic experiences and have had trauma responses. But then there's also clinical trauma that when we look at the data is really about 30 percent of the population. Mm. So it's a, it's a completely different defined response system. Mm -hmm. But if we go into like what can, you know, the general population do in a, in a day-to-day -day basis is is really a tuning in and a checking in process and you you kind of hinted to this in your last comment is that a lot of it is like getting out of the head and getting into the body. Um, so a lot of the times the mind is leading us down the wrong pathway, especially if we're dealing with anxiety um, or we're dealing with a lot of negative thinking. And so the way to get out of that is to drop down um, below the neck and into the body in some respect. And so it can start with following the breath and getting in tune with the breath. And it can also be like noticing how you feel and what you feel and the qualities of those feelings and using that as your compass point, because a lot of times um, what's happening is 
our perceptual system, which is, is again, at the subconscious level, our five senses um, in our internal landscape is taking in all of the information of the world, but it's colored by the lens of this interpersonal neurobiology. And so when things feel overwhelming, and let's say I have an avoidant style, um, then I start to perceive things as now an opportunity to avoid. And, and again, it's not of consciousness. It's, it's happening below. And so we can analyze a little bit of our thinking, but that's only going to get us so far. And sometimes analyzing our thinking gets us in trouble. And so the place to go is in the body. And when we can start to feel in the body what the reality is, we can start to slow things down. And then from there, we can start to see things with a more clear vision. And so we're not looking for the content of the answers for the mind to know what's the right thing to do. We're looking to actually start to slow down and even pause the thinking so that we can be more present and that we're able to actually be in situations and see where our patterns are showing up. So for the the avoider, right, when things start to get exciting or overwhelming, we're able to like stop ourselves in the process and go, okay, I'm not going to go, I'm about to procrastinate. I'm not going to go into that avoidant type of strategy. Instead, I'm going to sit down and write the letter, right? And I'm going to give myself that time to do that. Or for the person who has the anxious style and they're about to go into like control freak, right? You know, into something like that. It's like, okay, let me stop the spinning into the control and let me see if I can just step back and allow and not have to assert myself in a controlling way. Mm -hmm. And so the mindfulness creates the space for the pause to choose again. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And to drop into your body as well, to kind of move from your mind to your body. You know, one thing I always say, and I I think we mentioned it briefly in the previous episode that we recorded together, was um, that your body is always sending you signals. So that's something I, I always say is that your body is always sending you signals. But so often we're so in our mind um, that we are not paying attention to our body signals. And when we don't pay attention to them, they get louder, right? Mm-hmm. So so taking these moments, bringing in this mindfulness, taking these opportunities to pause. And when you do sort of ground yourself into your body, um, that's exactly what happens. You, you ground yourself into the present moment as well. And then you can decide with intention um, how what that next step is, is going to be, right? And, and that's how we change patterns. That's how we begin mm-hmm. to change those patterns. So this has been such a valuable conversation, mm-hmm. just a really powerful conversation as well. Um, I would like for you to share with our listeners where they can learn more about you and the work that you're doing. But before we do that, I just want to give you the opportunity if there's any sort of last minute um, thoughts that you had that you feel like our listeners should know about this topic that maybe we didn't cover yet. Yeah. Just one more thing that you made me think when you were just sharing is that you know, one of our, our sixth sense is interoception, which is the ability to feel within. And I think that if you, you know, play with this, be, be curious, play with this. But when something comes up that is confronting for you, it can be something small, right? It doesn't have to be something huge and monumental, but something small in your day-to-day, a day-to-day hassle. 
if you pause and start to notice where and how you feel inwardly and whether that's like in your stomach or in your heart or maybe it's your low back. I mean, it, it could really could be anywhere. But if you pause and start to think about where you're feeling the problem versus how you're thinking about the problem, usually what happens is you're able to better gauge the reality of the problem. And so the thinking mind can get us in trouble, especially when we're in a state of stress, because thinking is very limited when we're in a nervous system aroused state. It's thinking is is designed to preserve you in some way. But when you get into the body and you feel it and you get into your other centers of knowing, which could be your heart, which could be your gut, right? We all know about those centers. You start to realize that, one, you're safe, and so you don't have to respond in, in, in an alarm state, but two, that maybe the problem can be approached with compassion instead of with a sense of irritation or negativity or avoidance or fear. I love that. I love that. And I love how you introduced this process also with inviting our listeners to get curious and to play with this mm-hmm. process, you know, just get curious about it. And I think bringing that element of, of curiosity and some playfulness and just really just, okay, I'm just going to try this. I'm just going to see what this feels like. I'm going to use yeah, this as an opportunity hurt. to learn more. <laughs> yeah, it can't hurt, right? See what I can learn from this. And I think yeah. that's just a great um, message to, to wrap up this episode with. Mm-hmm. So where can our listeners learn more about you and the wonderful work that you're doing, mm-hmm. Dr. Diane? Thank you. Um, I have a website, dianemalaspina.com. And um, Instagram is another good place if you want to connect socially. It's Malaspina. Wonderful. And I will share those links in the show notes below. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Essential Self-Care Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe, leave a positive review, and share this episode with someone you know. And remember, your free guide, Six Simple Yet Powerful Steps to Create Your Radiant Life, is waiting for you at RadiantLivingInstitute.com. Download it today.